0: have to kind of let him recover from both the radiation and then see where it, see where it is. See
1: if it killed all the cells that were in there. So no. we fifteen should have to do through that. i no, I know he just turned sixteen, he finished radiation the day after his sixteenth birthday. Yeah, know hmm. so. But it it just it is what it is. I just pray for their
2: salvation yeah we pray for god working really a, right. a lot of going on in yeah it's weird no. yes. and for us Alrighty, right we're at 10 30. let's pray bless the lord who has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning grant from me in such wise hear them read mark learn and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace, never hold fast, the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior Jesus Christ.
3: Amen. Amen. Um,
0: um so we're starting Second Peter today. We have got the email on that. Um and
2: as with uh, a, a few things, the sort of
0: background on on um, Second Peter is that um, the like First Peter, it begins with the uh, with
2: Peter saying, you know, Peter, an apostle. Now he says in the, in the in this one, Second Peter, is Peter a bond servant and an apostle? So Peter claimed to be the author. There's been some uh, doubt about that authorship, uh, in, um, scholarly circles, but there's been a lot of doubt about a lot of things in 20th doubt. century scholarly circles, yeah. which end up being kind of stupid.
3: Yes. Um, and so
2: there's, there's really no reason. One of the, one of the favorite ones, which I've always felt to be, um, a little fanciful is, um, the idea that they look at one letter and they say, well, this one has a different, you know, some kind of different writing style, it uses words you didn't use in the other one. Um, but you know that for example, when we were studying John and um first John and, and the idea that John wrote revelation, well, revelation is a different style. Well I mean, if you get a vision of God on an island, <laughs> you might write in a little different style than you're just writing a letter to someone down, down the road. And so unless they can show that there is some regular pattern of similarity in everyone's letters between one occasion and another and between one time era and another, mm-hmm. it's kind of silly stuff. But that's the one thing I just, I just warn people when you get into like modern commentaries, a lot of things they dive deeply into this stuff as though it were. This is we don't know who wrote this and why they did it. And a lot of them are commentaries rooted in doubt
3: mm-hmm.
2: that are just you know they, they since since it probably couldn't happen this way how do we how do we deconstruct right. it? So right. there's really no good reason to to assume that Peter didn't write both First and Second Peter. Um, there's an interesting phenomenon that we'll cover next time, which uh, in chapter two of Second Peter is very very similar with Jude. We 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 read through Jude um a, a, a few months ago I think. Yeah. So for next week uh look at read Jude and then read 2nd Peter 2 and we'll see some similarities there. It it does appear that that as you know it's a one in two letters obviously the second seems to come after the first. And um I was thinking about just as looking it over that, um
0: in the first letter, there's a um, emphasis on sort of the
2: narrative themes of faith your strangers and pilgrims. This is what's happening with you you're you're the new temple you're a royal priesthood You understand that the narrative of um of faith and uh and specifically, the the paradigm of endurance through suffering after the example of Christ. talked a lot about that. What you know, how um, there's benefit to suffering for righteousness' sake, because that earth If one faces suffering in a righteous way, does not respond to the evil coming with with evil, but but endures that there's a this this. Cultivates a reward like like unto Jesus, whose death on the cross issued forth in the resurrection. So our faithful suffering participates in that. When we get into 2 Peter, it um, it's not these things are certainly there, but, he, but it does seem we'll get a lot of, uh, we'll get some attention to false teachers um, and some other uh, and destructive doctrines and and he's going to start out today with an idea of the necessary fruit of faith. As we persevere, that should we should see these things, and these do seem, in the general New Testament sense, to reflect um, a concern that became increasingly prominent as the first century progressed. That in the in the beginning you had the the conversion of hearts and people began to follow Jesus and the enthusiasm of that, but as the first century went on, you had threats, you had false teachers, you had um, that, and that's where you needed to clarify what was right and what was wrong, and draw a clear line between those who are, are um, not not following and those who are. Uh, and and you get a greater uh, emphasis even in the New Testament on tradition, hold on to these things that come from Jesus and the apostles. And beware of people who, who have other things because there's this there's this need to, to beware of
0: the dangers. So um there's that. So let's let's uh, let's jump in and read some, some Second Peter. Rob, how you doing? Good.
2: You sit there? If you want to see the people you just sit here. Yeah, you get people behind you. Oh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a Bible, there's one on the, on the shelf over there, too, for you. Yeah, I, the, those uh, red ones uh, on the middle, yeah, might serve you well there. That's the translation we're using. good size print. Ron, we just want to make you happy.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so, I'll
2: um, we'll jump in. So we're at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, uh, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, and I think the word bondservant um, is a little bit formal. We just thought I'd read this as slave, and what it means. Now, slave, of course, was, I guess, the the idea of bondservant is that um, slavery, such bondservanthood, had a much more contractual dimension in the ancient world, usually involved. You were working for somebody to whom you pledged something, and they had substantial control over you. Uh, it's not exactly the kind of slavery that that we know in, a, in the modern world, where we stole people from somewhere and 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 they had no there was no reciprocal contractual obligation at all. Um, but the point but the point is that Peter saying he says I'm a I'm a, a a bondservant or servant or slave of Jesus Christ. And I belong to him, and I'm responsible as a servant to do the things he calls me to do. And to frame it in the likeness of that ancient labor relationship of master and bondservant um, is significant. Uh, that, that Because often in our time, we tend to frame Christian faith much more in terms of uh, consumer benefits, Jesus will make us happy, we're a, we're a follower, we believe in Jesus, he gives us salvation, he, all these things that, that, that are our benefits, we don't always lead with the, um, the idea of our obligation to serve the one who's, 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 who whom we belong,
0: and so, and, and an apostle is significant, the word apostle is, uh, what does the word apostle mean?
3: Secondly,
1: apostle called one, sent one, the
2: sent. sent one who was sent. So the idea of of the apostles as those who are sent—they're <laughs> specifically sent by Jesus—and and and the the stat, the status of an apostle in the first century was very very important because they knew the Lord Jesus. Um, and um, therefore, could be trustworthy and witnesses could be believed in, in what they had to say about it, versus roaming teachers for for us, we still think of of apostolic succession, but the, the the real burden of that, apart from you know real authority that comes down to ministry is is the the things which pertain to the ancient faith, and so we have much more, we're not apostles in the sense that typically Jesus personally appeared to the minister and said, go, but the apostolic ministry is that has received the deposit of faith, both the scriptures and the church's historical understanding of what these things mean and the way that's expressed in the life and prayers and liturgies of the church. And there's a, 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 a stewardship of that. And so the importance of that, because we still deal with the same thing the first century dealt with strange teacher teaching other things. And so to stay within what is the faith and not be drawn outside of that, so the apostolic nature of, of this is still really important. We say in the Creed, we we'll leave one Catholic and apostolic faith. That is the, the universal and ancient sense of faith. So the idea of an apostle means he had. Uh, bond servant means he's in in, in relation with servanthood to christ apostle means he's accountable and he's also a faithful he's he's an, he's what he says he says with authority and we also as as members of the body of Christ a royal priest and a holy nation as saint Peter said in the first lesson when we are living within the reality of that truth have A kind of apostolic authority, we can tell you people this Jesus is Lord, that's an apostolic proclamation, it's not an opinion of ours. We might have an experience of Jesus as Lord that's significant, but that's there is an authority in the in the within the realm of apostolic faith more in it to say to proclaim truths with confidence and authority. And this week, you know, I don't want to belabor this too long, but it's significant because I, this will happen in church. Sometimes people will say, well, I, you know, God spoke to me. or And I think God does speak to people. So I'm not speaking against God speaking to you. But if then what God spoke to you seems to pull against uh the rope or push against the grain of the Catholic and after what God has spoken to all the saints in harmony down to the, the the ages. It's like you might want to that's humility says, okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm not. Understood. Maybe maybe what I thought was God might be my anxious desire to hear something or have something to be a certain way. Indigestion. Or it could be, huh? Indigestion. Indigestion spiritual ingestion. So, but the, but the idea of, 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 of authority, of testing things like that is significant. And, and, and this will be a theme that we'll get into as Peter moves along, how you
0: um, assess what is true and right and good and what is not true and right and good, what is part of the faith and what is not. The bond, servant, and apostle. <clears throat> to those who have obtained like
2: precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus
0: Christ. So this is interesting. What this particular verse means, because uh, he, he, he his,
2: his, this is like a dear Joe. All ancient letters have this. We just we say you know we have an address a date dear such and such. They start a letter by saying this is who I am. This is what I'm writing to and with some kind of uh uh and then verse two the Greek grace and peace be multiplied to you that was just standard letter form this is not florid epistle language this is just every letter in the ancient world can to follow that, that pattern so he's who's he writing to to those who obtain like precious faith with us remember what his first epistle, our first epistle was addressed to the
1: Ephesians
0: the
2: St. Peter First Peter. I mean it's like, wasn't it? I just went that. this designation in either first or second Peter. Um, the twelve tribes
1: the dispersion. To the, 12,
2: to the tribes of the dispersion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: Galatia was It
2: seems up. like he's writing a letter that's okay. gonna be circulated to be read amongst people who who um are dispersed around the Roman
0: Empire
2: and outside of Israel. Okay. Now he is writing to those who obtained like precious faith with us. Mm. And this could mean a couple of things. Um, it, it could have some implication of, of, of the Gentiles who were once not God's people, but now in Christ has been brought in. But then that would exclude the fact that he's also talking to Jewish people of dispersion. And and I think the, the sense of this most likely is, we apostles have seen the Lord and received from him this faith, and you've now obtained that faith with us. You're sharing with us in this thing that is apostolic and eyewitness-based. Both
1: Jew and Gentile?
2: Both Jew and Gentile. Because, well, let's we'll
0: speak about that. Why, why, why do we know that must be so?
1: Well, because Paul was to be an apostle to the Gentiles.
0: Right. And what what in the New Testament makes someone a part of God's people? Baptism. And?
1: Accepting Jesus.
2: Faith in Jesus. Yeah. yeah clearly. So, the, the, the revolutionary thing
0: that, that happens in the New Testament is God has reconfigured his people. So, if you're talking about to God's people, by definition, it now must include
2: both the ethnic Jews who have their faith in Jesus, and now the Gentiles who come to faith in Jesus. And and properly, again, we are talking about who is ultimately saved properly, no one else. So that excludes Jews who don't believe, who, who do not believe, and Gentiles who do not believe. But the, the new chosen people includes both. Um, you get the image of this. Uh, this is actually very throughout the Scriptures of the New Testament highlighted in various ways. But in Revelation, when there's an image of God's people in,
0: um in Revelation seven. Um, John John has an image where he sees 144,000
2: on Mount Sinai of all the tribes of Israel. And 144,000, the tribes of Israel, which are multiples of 12, have to do with um, the fullness. It's, it's a representative, numerical, symbolic here, the, the fullness of the tribes of Israel. But immediately after that image in Revelation, John sees, uh, and this is, if you forget this, this is the epistle for uh, All Saints Day in your prayer book, you look it up there. You see, is a multitude which no one can number of all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. And what John is saying, this is the new people of God. It consists of the, the fullness of Israel, which includes a multitude of all peoples, nations. So it's Jew and Gentile. And this, is, this, this proof of the inclusion of Jew and Gentile is highlighted specifically by St. Paul in the letter to the Ephesians. Where he, where he talks about you were once strangers to the covenant promise, but you were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, so that's
0: more likely that everybody now is sharing in the apostolic faith rather than any in, in, except. But it would be Jew and Gentile um, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is a very important
2: point that, that throughout um, one of the. Um, Writers who who's you know good to read on some of this stuff. An Anglo guy named N.T. Wright makes this point a lot that um, so it's the righteousness of of our God and Savior Jesus Christ that saves us, even as it is what we what the faithfulness of of Jesus. We often put a lot of emphasis on we're saved by our faith in Jesus, but More particularly speaking, we're saved by his faithfulness and his righteousness. What does that mean? It means that, I mean, in a biblical sense, if we look at the scriptures that God in the Old Testament, you know, after the creation and sin and fall, established various covenants, you know, from Noah to Abraham, but ultimately to Moses, uh, in terms of what would be required then to um, bring people back into relationship with God. And the overarching conclusion of the Old Testament that comes into the New Testament is that nobody fulfilled the righteous
0: requirements of the covenant. And this is this is what this is the primary teaching that St. Paul highlights
2: everywhere, but specifically in his extended letter to the Romans, and then his letter to the Galatians, where he talks about being saved by faith, is that Jesus Christ, God becoming man, did on behalf of 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 the human race what no human had done. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the covenant, the Torah. So it's his righteousness, On our behalf, that has fulfilled it for us. His faithfulness to do what God asked the first man to do and the first man failed that has now done that. And we're saved by trusting in his righteousness, but it's it's what he did that, that saves us.
4: So whenever Jesus says in the Gospels that your faith has made you whole or has healed you, it's actually his righteousness that's imparted
2: It's you're putting your trust yes in the person of Jesus who himself is is and now and, and to, to get a sense of how this this connects I think this is significant biblically because why is our faith in in the righteousness of God so important and faith I, I should say here as people may clear which will, which will require us to behave in a certain way. Because it's not just, oh, I believe, warm feelings in my heart. It's, <laughs> I believe,
0: and therefore, I will do what you ask me to do, even though it makes no sense at all. Um, and you see this even in the healings. Um, go your way, your son lives. And he walks away. That makes sense. He didn't come. He'd, you're believing. This
2: is so important because we look back at Genesis three. What was at root of the first, of the first sin that corresponds to this to this faith?
1: Disobedience.
0: Yeah. Or or what would be the antonym to faith?
1: Lack we'll of faith. Doubt. Doubt.
0: Doubt. Doubt. Godly not to eat this. Mm-hmm. He knows that. Oh, he's withholding something from you. -hmm. So sin is
2: rooted in doubt. We didn't take God at his word. We allowed the desires of our hearts to find things that are forbidden to be attractive. We talked ourselves into it. We find ourselves distant. So now, if Christ fulfills the righteous requirements of the law and reconciles us, for us to participate, we, we now, through the Spirit, and this is very important in the New Testament framework,
0: the gift of the Spirit gives us the power to obey. And this is very important to understand. It's not a perfect obedience because we still have
2: a residual flesh or fallen nature, but it's a real ability to begin to do and, and this Christian life is this wrestling of flesh and spirit. And, and um, the key thing is to hold on to Jesus in faith. And when we stumble, we confess and are cleansed, and we receive a new grace to go and love in new ways. But it's the righteousness of Jesus and his faithfulness that is one for us the gift of the spirit that enables us now to live in this new way. And apart from, yeah. And to choose to be a bond servant, and and yes, that's right. Verse yeah. three, grace and peace be multiplied to you, and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace, so their uh, their words, uh, um, grace actually was was a word that was also used, and so was peace in common. Greek language, but they take on a particular meaning in um, in, uh, the, in New Testament letters. Obviously, the grace of God and the peace of God, the shalom, which was the result of the covenant. When the covenant was fulfilled, it it resulted in peace between God and man. God and man was reconciled and that it also resulted in peace between man and man because the the vertical peace established the horizontal peace. And this is something that people don't quite grasp Sometimes in the activism of our culture that we cannot have horizontal peace or a horizontal justice until we have a vertical peace and a vertical justice. If God is not getting his due, as the Maker and Redeemer of the world, through our worship, it's utterly impossible for us to be actually just with each other. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of, it, we're going to be we're going to pursue justice, but if we if we if we neglect the primary act of justice, which is returning the worship to God that we've withheld, it is that. that and the, and the notice, therefore, in 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 the way Jesus teaches. Because he's called 12 people to be in relationship with him as apostles, as a foundation of the new community. Now, by this, all will know that you're my disciple because you love one another. Because your relationship with me is now issues forth in a kind of horizontal peace.
0: Grace, the peace, the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And understanding that knowledge there is not simply um,
2: we know facts about, but knowledge is experiential knowledge of living in relationship with. Just as a marriage relationship is not, I know where you were born, how tall you are, what your hair color is. It's, I know what you, I, I live with you, so I know what you're like so knowing god is living with him and
0: knowing his faithfulness knowing his discipline and knowing all those things that pertain to living in relationship with him. Verse three.
2: as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue,
0: whose divine power has given us, where do we receive this divine power?
3: Dear
1: God, through the Holy Spirit. Through
0: the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's, it's given to us in baptism, but baptism is not a static event like one little dose of the Holy Spirit, it's
2: it, we think it like a, a tree, a seed of a tree, that as we grow in our life and prayer and the pursuit of it, that, that faith and that power grows in us. But he's given us, apart from that power, we couldn't do it. And this is the point of, of the pursuit of holiness here, is that it's entirely rooted in our relationship with god and in our prayer and our being servants of god and our continually being in that situation of dependency apart from that there's no way to manifest the things he's going to talk about here and the the great danger of religion and this is secular religion is moralness. oh we got to be good people got to do this you got to do
0: that you know and, and if we only loved each other but the the enterprise of that merely secular
2: morality really repeats what the gospel teaches us we can't do it and this is why our our faith is is very um in its at
0: its core it is routinely penitential we always have to remember the ways
2: that we have forgotten to be dependent and, and doubted or trusted herself or, or or in minor ways rebelled we have to come back experience again the reality of baptism and cleansing or growing into it in truth and then we can go back out and think about this is this is uh, in a nutshell the liturgical experience the Eucharistic experience mm-hmm. we come again to God through Christ through his word which we hear through a sacrifice which we remember, through our confession, our acknowledgement that we, we can't do this without him, we receive again the gift, and then we go do some good works. But if we just try to get up in the morning and go do the good works, those good works are going to be tainted by, by our own disordered, selfish in, inclination. So, so his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness.
0: To the knowledge of Him of Christ, who called us by glory and virtue, called us away from our former life of unfaithfulness and lack of virtue,
2: called us into a new way of life in, in that He has allowed us to live and by by the Holy Spirit which He's given us. And the motive for this
0: is the realization that course, getting back to the Genesis scene, that we have to be convinced, I think, to really follow Christ wholly, that what he
2: is doing in us and for us is really best for us.
0: Because at root of that original sin in the garden was the doubt. We really trust God. And this does get back to the theme of Lent, of
2: testing. Why are we we it? Well, you can't know if you really trust God until you learn to do it when it doesn't look like it's working
0: out. And you, you, you trust that God is working in ways you don't know because you trust.
2: If your faith in God always and immediately results in every good thing you want, that's like a kid yeah, trust your your parent because of everything you want, you get. The first test is okay. Now you you have to go and
0: experience some discipline or distance. Do you still believe? Um, this is um, you know caught up, for example, in John six, where he feeds the multitudes
2: and they're all chasing him for more food, and and he gives them this really hard sermon about eating his body and
0: drinking his blood. And, All these things, they don't get. And they're mad at them. Most people leave. (laughs) So, faith, deeply rooted faith, is always test. The test develops it. How does it develop it? Well, we,
2: we hold on to Jesus in the tension spaces of life where it doesn't look like God is present. We persevere in that holding on to him. And we have experiences that realize, oh, I see that God was there. I see what God is doing. And we
0: learn that um, we, we, you know, we just, just trust. We also learn that when we don't trust, it doesn't go very well.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We end up off by ourselves, naked, afraid, ashamed, hiding from God in the bushes like the first humans. So the knowledge we call this by glory and virtue. By which we have been, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What are those promises?
1: Eternal life.
0: What, so let's flesh that out a little bit. What's,
2: what's eternal life like? What, specifically, what does Lent prepare us for? Jesus'
1: resurrection. So
2: resurrection, yes. So... Uh, and so the promise is that uh, we all have these bodies here that are going to we'll resurre- get old and die.
1: We'll be resurrected with Jesus. We're
2: going to be raised from the dead and they have a life that endures of which there is no end. And not only that we will have it, but we already have it. This is central to the New Testament teaching is it's not complete yet. It's not full, but it's real. We already are partakers. Of this life. And so the promise is something we look forward to, but it's something we also live in right now. Uh, our sins are forgiven. We will be healed. We, there will be a life where there's, as Revelation says, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain.
0: And notice that too in the, in the face of the doubt of our world, you can just hear, wow, you believe in my It sounds like, wow, oh, it sounds bad. That faith
5: holds
3: on to that.
2: That through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature. And that's simply the gift of the Spirit makes us partakers of the divine nature. We are, are, are um, children of God. We have a new nature through baptism and faith that. Um, Saves us from the natural consequences of our old nature, the old self, the disordered desires of our fallen nature, and the spiritual life then is caught up in the way we yield as servants to the new nature, as St. Paul says. Yield your servants as members to righteousness, the pomp and the Holy Spirit, and put to death the old nature,
0: the, the contrary inclinations uh, that, that, that don't produce anything eternal.
2: Partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Now let's hold this light on that for, word for a minute here, lust, because it's always overtly sexual in our hearing. It's a deadly sin. But even there, it's not it's not solely a sexual reference. The word for lust here simply is the is the ordinary Greek word for desire and or or or, or passion. And if we rightly understand this, actually there are ways that the same Greek word is used in positive ways. Um, I believe it's, it's the same word the same that St. Paul usually when he says, desire earnestly the best mm. gifts. Mm. So what we're talking about the corruptions in the world through 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 lust goes right back to that garden scene. Well how did corruption come in? We saw the world with through you know the the desire and if you don't ever see if you don't see yourself in that mental musing of Eve, then you're not been honest with yourself. We look at things and we desire it now. Must have it. We have a we have a, a we believe a lie. Our heart wants something. We go for it. That's where corruption comes from. And if we reduce that now to our, our daily life, when we, oh, we, want some we start talking ourselves into it, mm-hmm. we're not rational creatures. We're rationalizing creatures. We mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. can be rational.
2: <laughs> we can't if we.
1: That's why we're once here. We, once
2: we disown. <laughs> Once we disown the old, we can go back to a, a right mind. and we disorder so our desires <laughs> so the yeah. disorder and I think there's i I, I can speak for my own life and growth, which comes through many a stumble um, a lot of times
0: the 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 corruption that comes through disordered desire let's just call it that, so we get it right here um You only learn that corruption by doing it. And realized that this was a bad idea. Mm. Um, And as you play out your disordered desire. And experience its consequence. You realize I
2: don't want to be there anymore. And I don't know that there's any way in Christian life. But to to learn it other than to learn it as a child learning.
0: Like a child who learns the iron pot. Because she touches it. I don't want to do that. So when. Mom said, Don't touch the iron.
2: Oh, she really thought. Oh, she oh, oh, it <laughs> it, it really is my good, not to you we know, look at the Ten Commandments, oh this and and, and so this this is the we ought to be aware of our so in Lent we're trying to the whole idea of of fasting, of disconnection from things, even good things that we're too attached to, attach to <clears throat> we're look, we're trying to develop that um detachment freedom from compulsion but then allows us to enjoy the good things in the way that god intends which also requires the ability to say no i won't do it now that's why true enjoyment always involves discipline <clears throat> you can't really enjoy something that you're not free not to enjoy and this is why lent i i think it's always um a struggle against when we when we fast but it's a gift because it, it, it's a gift of the season. that teaches you, you you can live without that thing. You you can <laughs> exist in Christ, and it's okay. And then that, that's that's experiential freedom. It doesn't mean you don't want the thing, but it means that it, you you as we as we practice this detachment, this no, we gain a bit of freedom, and from our our desire, it reorders our desire. Because we can say no, then we can say yes. But if we can only say yes, we can't say no,
5: we're going to be captive. Verse 5.
0: But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, What
5: are
2: some virtues that we want to add to our faith? Well, discipline would be one. Discipline?
1: Yeah. All the fruits of the Spirit. Okay. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self control.
2: What virtue, tell me the virtue someone is working on during Lent? Patience. Patience. Patience <laughs> is a virtue of, Detachment. of, of persevering, not having to wait, yeah. learning to wait. I like that verse from Isaiah. Um, Therefore, the Lord will wait that He may gracious, be gracious unto you, and then and the verse says, "Therefore, wait." <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> a lot of that.
2: He's waiting to be gracious. Yeah. So You have to wait. Uh-huh. You both in a place where this thing can work out, <laughs> which means He has to bring us to a place where that graciousness can be received.
1: Acceptance. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. What's that?
1: Acceptance
2: is another yeah. one. Acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of it was, uh, that's interesting to pursue that one a little bit because. Um, acceptance of um, circumstances we don't want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the world we've authored doesn't have that in it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And But we live in a world that has what it has. And um, so I, I do think there is acceptance which is kind of surrender of our own need for things to be different than they are. Uh there's my meditation last year on Good Friday that in the middle of the day just seemed like a bad way to save the world.
3: <laughs>
2: and sometimes the middle of our day seems a bad like a bad way to get me where I need to be. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: But entering into that and being patient and, and ask the question, what is God doing in me through this to virtue and to virtue knowledge? Um knowledge here is, uh, is, is, the Greek word is gnosis, once you get a
2: word knowledge, because in Greek it's G-N-O, and that becomes in English K-N-O, it's, 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 it's our word knowledge comes from Greek, but um, it also was the origin of, of the most ancient of heresies called the Gnostic heresies,
0: which, which promised a secret esoteric knowledge that the the great teacher would give you. And
2: the Christians responded that that Christianity actually was the true Gnosis, Mm -hmm. to know. And it wasn't um, a characteristic of
0: um, Gnostic heresy, which endures in our time. I would say that, that still a lot of Thinkers
2: have, have identified Gnosticism as a primary Christian heresy still. But what does that mean? It means to reduce faith to some kind of spiritual experience of faith or enlightenment that divorces it from its embodied moral and spiritual obligations. So for us to know God is to know Him experientially. We know experientially by because we've died with Him. And because we rose with him in the very experience of learning acceptance, of learning patience, is learning to know God, Mm -hmm. to know God as he is in his in Christ's death and resurrection. And we know him by participating in his death and resurrection. That's the true gnosis. There is an experiential prayer component of that, but it can never be divorced from the embodied moral component. And a, a, a feature of Gnosticism, ancient and modern, in its heretical form, is the disembodied idea. The idea that I have this faith or belief that I hold in my mind or my heart, and it doesn't really matter how it connects to my body. Hey, you're forgiven, it doesn't really matter what you do. It comes out in that kind of thing. That's a heresy, ancient and modern. Peter is saying, you've been, we've received these great promises, therefore, make sure that you live it out in what you do, because that is your salvation, that is your freedom. And the attempt to make salvation a, a thing over here, that has divorced my actual incarnate life in the body. So out of
4: the the, the, the Gnostic viewpoint, the disembodiment, was that the, the extension of that, was the rapture, uh, Theology come out of that, you think, because of Gnosticism? Um,
2: is everyone familiar with what we're talking about with rapture theology? It's, it's a, a framework of, of, of belief called dispensationalism that arose in the late 1800s uh, and um, teaches that Jesus will soon come and rapture the church and take it away and then torch the earth. and
0: I'm not quite sure right, what happens next. Um, rain. thousand year reign thousand oh, year reign of some
2: people and not other people and it, it's got a lot of uh um i think the problem with um the the danger of of, of that theology um is that it it, it has uh, an
0: escapist orientation to it and and the way i understand this rather than just um Dumping on dispensational, which I love, you know, which we love to do, because, because <laughs> theologically
2: it's an error. But if we understand what it partakes of, is uh, in its extreme, and people tend to go there from here it, into a kind of futurist.
0: Um, and the way I, I would understand this is that we're talking about what we
2: might call um, eschatology which means the study of the last things Uh, or more particularly, I think how uh, the kingdom of heaven relates to the kingdom that we're now, to to the current status of things. And I think the best way to understand the error of dispensationalism is to understand that that it's extreme on one end, there's another extreme on the other end and the truth it lives in a middle tension, which is difficult, which is why people try to run to one or the other. So there's, there's um, on one end, the dispensationalist, futurist eschatology is the kingdom of God is coming, and when God comes, going to nail everyone, and we just want to get on the boat, the ark, the ship, and get out of here and be ready when God comes, go to the mountain, you know, whatever. Get in the cave, store up, who knows, it'll happen. I don't think it's fair to say that everybody who who is in churches that follow that really behave that way so i'm not really throwing stones that hard at that but that's the that's the error on the other extreme though is what we might call um a realized eschatology and this is the primary error of of um modern western especially american faith which is to confuse too much the kingdom of God with the current order to assume that somehow the church do its work in time is going to bring about the kingdom here now. And that's what's led to in the middle 20th century called the social gospel, but you see it, it, it in manifesting in various activisms that aim to make the world a better place or bring justice to this or that thing. And so let me balance this out because I, I, I'm not even... I don't mean to speak against uh, being being having a form of being active in the world, but so the truth is not the kingdom of God is here. It's all up to us to bring it about in time. Or it's not really Jesus coming in the future. He's not here now. He's going to you know so just get on the, the the ark until wait for the water to come and wash us away, uh, wash everyone else away. Hopefully not us. Um, <laughs> the truth is is that the kingdom of God is here now. We're partakers of the divine nature is present right now in this world through this church. The proper frame of existence for the church in this world is witness. We're bearing witness to the kingdom in the church. I think the primary difference between witness, which is prophetic, which is not afraid to confront the evil, and what I call activism is witness can never need a
0: result in this world. Witness says, um, uh, this is wrong. It's wrong
2: to kill unborn children. It's, It's wrong to be prejudiced against people just because of the color of their skin. It's wrong. These things are wrong. But it has no illusion that by some political process or our marshalling all kinds of resources, we're going to change this world into the kingdom of God. So witness is not afraid to speak, and I think that the primary thing about witness in, in, in harmony with a, 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 a approach we call remnant theology is that 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 sort of and and the, the proper word for this um, framework is called inaugurated eschatology. The kingdom is here, but not fully here. It's not realized. It's not already here. It's not all in the future. It's inaugurated. And it tends to issue forth then in sort of a, a micro um, focus. We, we, we bear witness to the kingdom, but we focus on what we can do, like here, instead of like, oh, we're gonna feed the, people. you know, there's nothing wrong with feed the poor in Africa, but you might want to think about like, who's in need, like today in your life, <laughs> and being a witness to the kingdom at all we can, and so we can't bring about the kingdom, but we can manifest the kingdom, bear witness to it, and draw people into the kingdom. But the existence of the church in this world is always one in which we experience the kingdom in its reality now. But it's not yet here. And it won't be fully here until our Lord comes. And we understand it's not a perfectible world. And it can't be perfected. And that's uncomfortable. And we'd either rather run away from it, Jesus come and torch them all, or or dive into activism and act like we can fix it, and living in the tension of of the kingdom being here and not here, and then what am I called to be, how am I called to be witness to the kingdom in this place? That's our our vocation. So I think that's the balance. So dispensationalism um, reduces um, salvation, again, to a kind of it, it, it seems to um, it, it seems to reduce it to a, a salvation as a kind of insurance policy against le- getting left out of the rapture, and sometimes it minimizes the the voice that might be exercised about
0: like things that are actually wrong. We could say, don't do that. And it's a disembodied thing, It's disembodied so Yeah, there's,
2: and, and um,
4: but it has nothing to do with the resurrection.
2: No. And yeah, it's wrong because, well, it's biblically, the New Testament looks for the coming of Jesus and there's no sense if we're really careful about our examination of the New Testament, that when Jesus comes, he's actually going to take people away and the world's going to continue on. When Jesus comes, it's the completion of the new creation and all that that means.
0: So knowledge embodied knowledge experience. So what will happen
5: to the people that don't believe judgment do
1: well i don't know i mean you say that, that that no one will be left they won't all be taken with him
2: i don't understand your question you're you're espousing what would be rapture theology we don't believe that. I believe when Jesus comes, he's not taking
0: anyone. He's coming into the inheritance of the new heaven new and new earth. What will and happen, we're staying here. And what will
5: happen to those who don't believe?
0: I, I don't, you know, that's, we, we, that's up to the judge who's able to judge.
2: All I will say is there's no reason to proclaim salvation through
0: faith in Christ if there's nothing to be saved from
1: Well, according to scripture, if I'm wrong, correct me, it says that those that don't believe will be judged. That's in Revelation.
2: It's it's clear, a lot of modern philosophers want to, there's a, uh, talk about universalism, all will be saved, that'd be really great. It doesn't seem to be a New Testament says. So they'll be judged. Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. There's, there's, there's a. Rich the, man and Lazarus. We, it just seems to be from the tears. So the the reason that 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 we're called to faith in Jesus Christ is is and the, the thing to understand here. Let's just let's just.
0: There's a Christian way. There's a biblical way of looking at the way uh, at the interaction between God and man, and what te- tends
2: to happen. And, and and the biblical way has been turned on its head by the modern
0: contemporary western world the biblical way is understanding is that that we've sinned yes
2: the first human sin but there's this corporate participation in that sin that we inherit and act out and therefore by nature we're separated from god and if nobody does anything about that that's where we are so it's not god sending anyone anywhere it's human decision to rebel leads the separation. It is God who comes in through various covenants to bring people back to himself. It is God who sends his son to reconcile. And we experience the reconciliation of the gift of the Spirit, for which we're grateful. And we certainly want everybody to experience it, but we're we're given to believe that everyone will. The way the modern and contemporary world turns that on its ear is by assuming that people are basically good, and God is the mean God who's saying, you're out of here, you're out of here, you're out of here. But as, as a spiritual and biological reality, we're not in union with God by birth. Sin, which cannot dwell in God's presence, leaves human beings with a, a, a gap between themselves and God. That, must, that, that is bridged by the righteousness of Jesus and the faithfulness of Jesus, who brings us back into relationship with God. That's the whole thing we're celebrating in Lent and Easter is the reconciliation of that. And it's nonsense unless there is a separation to be bridged by what Jesus has done. And there's not some way that we can participate in that coming back to God in a greater way through our own no to things and yes to God. So, do we add to knowledge self-control? The ability to say no, when no is is called for, and yes, when when yes is called for. To self-control, perseverance, which is, I think we talked about patience. um, Sometimes the same Greek word is translated patience. Sometimes this great state Greek word is translated perseverance, but it's usually the same word. And the idea of, of patience is really perseverance, not just sitting still. Is continuing on in the life of prayer, continuing on a life of faith and service, even though
0: the desired result of that or some desired result of that is not immediately evident in our life right now. That, that just changing that word around kind of changes your whole, or at least in my mind, it changes my whole focus. I'm thinking, everyone tells you, well, you got to be patient with that person. Fine, you know, do what you got to do. From what I'm hearing, it's like now, you have to be perseverant with that person, meaning,
2: keep moving with them, bring them along, tolerate, them, and deal with their issues.
0: well, and also, I would
2: say here about this, so we're 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 um persevering our own life for prayer, we're praying for people. We're examining our role in our interaction with people. Are we loving the best way? What What are we bringing to this that might? Yeah. And 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 as we're growing into this, it may be that part of what's happening in the, the desired result we we want is maybe we need to be brought to a new place. And so, so we're waiting, but we're in a process of our own prayer and self reflection. And we're moving forward, we're waiting for, obviously, the Resurrection, ultimately, we're waiting for various manifestations of God's goodness and life. But then there's
4: the aspect of, if if you're dealing with an abusive relationship, and you're persevering, and you're being patient with an abusive person, and you're in prayer, and God changes you, you may see that I have to avoid that person, because that person is not healthy for me, right? (laughs)
2: But the main, the main thing for us, I think, here is that focus focuses on, what, first of all, on our role in our own life. <clears throat> and I think faith always gets off track when it starts being fixated on what someone else is doing. How do we get them to do this? You may never get them to do that. You're called to live your life faithfully. To respond, not react, but respond faithfully
0: to, to them and be a faithful witness, they mm. may never do what you want to do. Um, good word, then. Yeah. yeah, perseverance. Yeah. I mean, God yeah. keeps dealing with us even though we may <laughs> never do what he wants us
2: to do. I That's mean, God, it, we, we're, we're called to be who we are in Christ and focus on how we are loving God and and... and loving others in good ways, and the more we fixate on, how am I going to change you? <laughs> that gets us into And then we, we, we take on a project or something, and when we, we decide, well, maybe I have a role in this. In this. Maybe, and our, our primary, this, you know, our framework of, of study and formation in this church focuses on the idea that our primary way to impact our systems we're a part of is to work on us, be healthier, and more faithful in those places, yes.
1: So I'm thinking of Romans 5, where Paul says, perseverance produces character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us.
0: That's right. We're formed, um, we're formed in times when we're called to persevere without the obvious result of what we want. And that's a very
2: anti-consumer orientation. And because our world, because faith in our world has, has become so infused with the language of the consumer culture, we, we, we just forget. That's not the story we're living in. Yeah. Not living in a story where what's God gonna do for me? We're living in a story where God is is we're partakers of divine nature. God is is turning us into creatures who are going to live forever in his presence. He's refining out the bad and confirming the good and developing virtues in us. So perseverance, the ability to persevere with people who aren't doing well, that, that, that would be the thing. Um, perseverance, godliness. Godliness would be we continue in our, both our prayer and worship of God and the way you manifest that devotion to God and relationship with other people.
0: To God, God and his brotherly kindness, that kind of brings it down to, um, and part of this is, I, I, I think to, to, I think, you know, Phil, um, um, uh, uh, Rob's,
2: um, uh, point was significant to think about. Because I think about it like this is a lot of times we're, we're, we're focused on somebody. Do this?
5: Um,
0: To speak autobiographically now but I am focused on that I'm more focused on a battle I'm fighting with this person I need this from them and I'm baptizing my desire with the kingdom that I'm praying um, and the
2: primary thing that God has taught me in those spaces is, is to let go because it's an attachment that is and and, and and i and, and to move from what I need to get someone to do to a prayerfulness is a surrender, and then a, out of that letting go and prayer, what does love look like here and it's a hard question sometimes it's what if it's doing nothing because we like to control things
3: mm-hmm.
2: what if I, why I say right leg what if you come to your prayer like there's nothing I can do i've had a few I've situations in my life that's like that now right um, I don't have any idea what to do. Mm. So you sit in your prayer and you wait. You, you but you persevere in your prayer. Mm-hmm. You persevere in the disciplines. Yeah. But you but it's easy for us to get into well, I pray, okay. I pray. God, they're not they not yeah. Yeah. They're not doing what I want to do yet. Peter in the resurrection. What about him? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I wrote down, um, I was looking at this this morning uh, to to read beforehand, (laughs) imagine, (laughs) maybe my first time. No, um, um, but uh, temperance, the word temperance back to, because we're adding to our faith virtue and adding to virtue knowledge and adding to knowledge temperance. I looked it up and it says one who masters his or her desires and passions. And it's, it was talking about continence, not, you're not leaking, you're not leaking your desires all over the place. And so, back to the abusive relationship, if I need, need someone to love me, then I might be overgiving and trying to stay and fix someone that doesn't want to be fixed. And so it's like, we'll go back to temperance, is to delay the immediate gratification of wanting someone to like me, that's in my flesh you know, for the greater good that's more remote. It's like, no, what it what But
2: And it even mean? to understand, though, there that... Um,
1: what does that mean? My
2: own desire to fix those who don't want to be fixed may be as big a problem in me as they have in them. Now. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It might just be.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and so this is this is where we get this because we're really good at baptizing what we want with the language <laughs> of the kingdom. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, really well, I'm going to finish this. <laughs> yeah. We uh, so this is a worthy conversation to continue next week. We're, we're a little bit over, but let's get it to it. So, so, for these things, we says to brotherly kindness okay. and the brotherly kindness love. Yeah, God's so. love. For these things are yours man, and you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will stop there. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that um, if we partake and if we've um, If we're living in this reality of the kingdom and become partakers of divine nature, we ought to focus on how these various virtues are being created in us. And that's different than how I'm going to get you do something. (laughs) So we'll pick up, uh, note that we'll pick up uh, verse 9, we got through to verse 9 for next week. Alright, let's pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forever. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. And thank you all. Good to have you all here. Hi, Ruth, Tim, Jim, Phyllis, Mimi, Ed, Elizabeth, anyone else there? Right? we can't see you. <laughs>
1: thank you. It's not the same being not being there. <laughs> Thanks so much it's
2: wonderful
0: so
4: thank you for entertaining and addressing our comments and questions as we go through this it's, it's really helpful no
2: it's good it's easier to well, do that inside you're putting outside no one online can hear your questions this is not Yeah, it's nice. a much better place to have fun i was going very
4: long yeah
2: i can hear you Although
4: I like to hear the engines going by,
3: oh. yeah, <laughs> <Silence>. oh, oh. <laughs> especially
4: when Rob leaves. And what? <laughs> Turn
0: this off, in the recording, in case anyone says anything. Yeah. <laughs>